The Z-Ball podcast is a casual conversation that occasionally delves into mature subjects and may contain vulgar adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Z-Ball Podcast. I'm Zeeshan Khan. We've got a lot of stuff to get into today. Uh, first, we're going to be going over the NBA Finals and what an NBA Finals it was. Cleveland Cavaliers ending their title drought, winning their first championship in franchise history and their 45-year franchise history. And also, we got upcoming tomorrow from New York City, the 2016 NBA Draft. And we'll get into a little bit of free agency as well, trade talk. But first, uh, we're going to talk about the NBA Finals, and joining me, a recurring guest on my podcast, who is joining me from uh, just north of the scene of the crime on from Sunday's Game 7 between Golden State and Cleveland, we have uh, Syed. How are you doing, Syed? Uh, good. How are yourself, Deshaun? I'm doing well. Uh, really uh, great final series that we just had. And I'm really happy with the result. I'm really happy for the city of Cleveland, and but mostly happy for LeBron that he was able to win his third championship and uh, bring his hometown their first uh, major sports title since 1964. So just kind of wanted to get your initial thoughts on the long seven-game series and uh, how it ultimately played out. Yeah, I think it was a really entertaining series. Everyone kind of thought that the Warriors would blow them away, especially after the first two games. Um, but LeBron showed up big, and I think he, he's, he's out there to prove that he's still kind of the best player in the league, despite uh, Steph Curry's last two regular seasons, which, you know, I think these last two postseasons kind of throw us a question whether he really, Steph Curry really is the best player in the league. Because I think he underperformed last year in the postseason as well. He wasn't finals MVP, and he underperformed again. Um, so it will be a nice little rivalry, I think, going forward between not just the Warriors and the Cavs, but LeBron and Steph to see who's the best. Uh, so it's nice seeing like LeBron actually t- trash-talking to somebody else after a couple of those blocks on Steph. Okay, uh, definitely. Uh, do you think uh, Steph's issues uh, stem from all those injuries that he's kind of been accumulating throughout the playoffs, or do you think it was just uh, uh, a factor of Cleveland having a good defensive game plan on him or a combination of both? What do you think ultimately happened with Stephen Curry? He only went off pretty much in game four. That was the only signature game he had all series. Um, I think in the playoffs, like there's there's heightened defensive attention put on him, and I think definitely in OKC series and in the Cleveland series, you can see like defenses are really keying on him and really slowing him down through his kind of screen and really trapping him when he had the ball and he was uh, picking up a uh, a pick. So. Um, they were really keying in on him, something that, you know, teams don't do, didn't really do in the regular season. So um, I think it's another difference between the regular season and the postseason. And um, 
there was a lot of looks that Steph Curry that he was hitting in the, in the regular season that he just wasn't hitting in the postseason as well. So I think it's a combination of not only kind of the stage, but also the height defensive attention that he was getting. Uh, definitely. I think uh, Cleveland definitely stepped up the physicality and uh, – the refs, I mean, they they weren't calling it as, as tight as they usually normally do in the regular season. Uh, Cleveland was able to get away with a lot of contact, probably on Steph Curry, especially off the ball when he runs around screens and so forth. And they were able to play physical. The refs were letting a lot of contact go. And ultimately, uh, like you said, LeBron was talking a lot of trash. He ultimately feels like this whole time that he's been the best player all along. And He's he's been hearing everyone talking about Stephen Curry. He's the best player. He's this. He's that. But ultimately, LeBron was out to prove out on a mission to prove something that he's he's still here and he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So he was just. I mean, he looks at Steph. He's all like, "What what are you? What are you without your jump shot? Without your jump shot, if your jump shot's not falling, you're pretty much an average player. But myself, I can do a lot of other things. So uh, what do you think ultimately? going forward that rivalry will look like if there is possibly going to be a rivalry between the two? Well, I think, you know, LeBron's going to put up his numbers. We saw last postseason, in the finals, he put up historic numbers. In the last post, in the last finals, he didn't have any help. And uh, you know, having Kyrie Irving there, stepped up big time and played, he actually outplayed Steph Curry one-on-one. That was kind of the biggest difference. Um, so I think really having his teammates around him, I think that's going to be the biggest deal for, for LeBron. And we'll see what happens with Kevin Love. You know, a lot of rumors out there that the Cavs might trade him or or and whatnot. So um, you know, I think going forward, it'll it'll definitely be kind of an exciting series because LeBron's still in his prime and. Obviously, like Kyrie Irving and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and Draymond Green, they're all on their prime. They're all locked down with their respective teams with long-term contracts. So, um, like going forward, it's going to be kind of the matchup to watch. Okay, definitely. I kind of see it as more of a rivalry between the two teams. I don't think it's really much of a rivalry between LeBron and Stephen Curry. They're not guarding each other very much during the games. They're not really going head-to-head. But, I mean, I mean, small sort of rivalry. They're, I mean, on cross-matches, they're kind of matched up here and there. But I think uh, like we'll, we'll probably be seeing this matchup sometime again very soon in the finals. I'm pretty sure of it. But ultimately, uh, Golden State, I mean, they kind of played uh, their style. Like, I mean, the first... Uh, two games, I mean, ultimately, what did Cleveland change going into game three moving forward? Because it looked like uh, the last five games of the series, Cle- Cleveland was in complete control. Yeah, I think part of it was LeBron got a lot more aggressive and then on defense, I think that, you know, I think they, they started playing Curry a lot more smarter. They, they played a lot more physical coming off the screens and the trapping him pretty often. And both those things, like, you could see they were disturbing Curry. So, you know, I think Cleveland made a lot of good adjustments, and then LeBron just got a lot more aggressive. Okay, and uh, people talk about LeBron kind of being 
sort of mentally weak and maybe in some of his uh, past playoff disappointments. And you saw him this year talking a lot of trash to Curry, having probably like three or four signature blocks I saw on Curry throughout the whole series, trash-talking Curry. Do you think LeBron and the Cavs kind of got it a little bit into Stephen Curry's head and kind of that kind of affected how ultimately how he played on both ends of the floor? the Warriors respond. Obviously, the, you know, they had 73 wins, which was the, the best number that anyone put up in the regular season. Um, so they didn't have to deal with too much adversity in the regular season. Um, so we'll see how they're able to respond. It seemed like, you know, the suspension got on Drake, like the suspension of five got on Draymond Green's head a little bit. He, he wasn't playing as well throughout the series. He had a terrific Game 7, actually. But the rest of the series, like, he was pretty absent. Um, and overall, like, it doesn't look like it's been, like, Clay Thompson's makeup to be aggressive, even though he should be. And Steph Curry, I think, you know, he, he made a couple of key turnovers and really bad shot collection, like, at the end of the game. Yeah, that's always kind of been the knock on Curry in the last two years. He's too loosey-goosey with the ball, very nonchalant. Uh, he has a lot of stupid turnovers, kind of a lot of bad decisions. But when he's hitting, I mean, I mean, he's when he's on, I mean, he's really going. For Clay, I I think the problem with Clay is most of his points are created on uh, off the ball type. Uh, actions sets and on offense i mean he he's he's not really one that one of those type of guys like like a stephen curry or a Kyrie or a lebron that can kind of create his own shot his his stuff is just moving off the ball moving off screens spotting up behind the three-point line going in the post so he, he he needs to improve in that area if he wants to become a legitimate type superstar in this league and for draymond i mean he had two really good games but Ultimately, most people say that he cost them the series with an absolutely boneheaded play in Game 4, an unnecessary play when they were up by 10 points by uh, hitting LeBron in the restricted area. And that's, in my opinion, kind of where the series ultimately turned. And ultimately as well, uh, Golden State's starting center, Andrew Bogut, going down, the rim protection being pretty much non-existent for Golden State from that point moving forward, and LeBron and Kyrie being able to go to the rim pretty much at will and pretty much having their way and putting the Golden State defense, leaving them on their heels throughout the last three games. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on first Draymond's uh, suspension in game five and Andrew Bogut being out the last two and a half games. Yeah, I think those two things really propelled uh, Cleveland. Um, one, you know, um, Draymond Green's suspension, I think it really kind of lit a, a fire under LeBron. Um, as well as kind of when Andrew Bogut went down, it really cleared the lane for, for Kyrie and LeBron to be as aggressive as they wanted. We saw in the first couple of games that um, Andrew Bogut's a legit seven-footer and he's a deterrent at the rim. Um, so he was blocking shots like left and right against the Cavs. So not having him in there, I thought it had a huge effect on the game. 
Uh, definitely. Uh, Andrew Bogut, I think, was averaging somewhere around five blocks for 48 minutes in this series. I mean, and him going out was absolutely a big blow to Golden State. But uh, ultimately, do if Draymond was not suspended, do you think Golden State would have been able to wrap it up in that uh, Game 5 at Oracle Arena? I mean, in terms of the criticism towards LeBron, I think 95% of it is pretty much unwarranted. I mean, there's never been, I think, a greater, more transcendent player who gets scrutinized as much as this guy. I just don't get it. I never have. I don't know if I ever will. But, I mean, do you think ultimately that sort of criticism, the the gas-bagging, the unnecessary scrutiny, play-to-play, micro-analysis of what he does kind of goes down a little bit, or do you think it still stays at the, the level that we've seen for the past five, six seasons? Um, I, th- I, th- yeah, I think it has to go down at this point. I think you proved a lot of people wrong. You know, it went down after he won back-to-back championships in, uh, in Miami for a little bit, but then he lost against the Spurs, and then they lost last year, so it started to heat back up again. But I think just just given that he just beat the team with the greatest regular season ever, uh, I, I don't know how much more this guy has to prove. He's got three three championships, three finals MVPs. There's only a list of, I think, four or five players that have three finals MVPs. Um, and we saw, I mean, and that's not his only kind of accolade. We saw that... Who was the ESPN or Sports Illustrated had him in the top three players of all time already prior to this championship. His, his career numbers and his career and his legacy, it's already there. I was, like you said, I think more than 95%, probably like 99% of the criticism he bears is unwarranted. Uh, definitely. I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, but ultimately... Uh, Historic type win for Cleveland. First team to come back from a 3-1 deficit in NBA Finals history. The 32 previous teams weren't able to do it, do so. And also the first team to win a Game 7 in NBA Finals on the road since 1978 Washington Bullets. And also historical pr- aspect in terms of Cleveland sports. 51 and a half years since any major pro sports team in the Cleveland metro area was able to win a championship. So ultimately, uh, do you think LeBron has some sort of case going forward in the future to kind of challenge uh, the legacy of Michael Jordan or or no? Um, If he wins another title or two, he definitely does. Uh, It would be hard to kind of put him up there right now if he retires today. But if he wins another title or two, I think he's right there in the discussion. Okay, definitely. Definitely. Kind of uh, so you. I think you had LeBron 
I think somewhere around five going into the the finals or going into this the season. Now that uh, given what we've seen based on the performance he just had in the finals and throughout the whole playoffs, where do you ultimately rank him amongst the all-time greats after this NBA season? I mean, you could put him as high as three, and I could. I, I definitely think he's top five, and most likely like three or four, right behind Kareem and Michael. You could argue maybe Will, Magic at three, but I don't think so. Um, I'd probably put LeBron up there. All right, definitely. I I had him as six going in. And, I mean, after a lot of analysis that I've done, it's really tough. But I think I'm still going to put him at six. But it's much more ironclad over the two guys that are behind him than my list, Tim Duncan and Kobe. It's like a no-doubter between those guys now that he's just ultimately clearing away better than those guys. And ultimately, I think just based on his regular season resume, another couple seasons, he'll eventually pass up Wilt. Uh, Bill Russell and Wilt, who are number five and four, respectively, on my list. And he's going to become next season the only player in NBA history with 27,000 points, 7,000 rebounds, and 7,000 assists. He's ultimately most likely going to get to 30,000 points in his career. He's going to have a legitimate shot at 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, and 10,000 assists, which will be unprecedented if he's able to reach that sort of pinnacle from a statistical standpoint. So ultimately, I mean... A lot of uh, stuff, interesting stuff to look forward to in probably the five, six years that he has left in his career. And ultimately, do you see uh, this Cleveland core? Do you see them winning another championship? Um, I think so. I mean, I think they have really good role players. Tristan Thompson was huge in that series. He's young and he's locked up. Uh, Kyrie Irving is young and he's locked up to be a Cavs. Um, and then, uh, you know, everybody else kind of rolls around. Um, as long as they have those players, we'll see what happens with Kevin Love. He had a big game seven. I thought he was a pretty big contributor there. rest of the series, he was somewhat of a no-show. Um, but I think they can fill in around him as well. As we saw, you know, in the game that he was out with a concussion. So I think Cleveland has the right pieces to contend for a long time. All right, yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Uh, but definitely moving forward, uh, for Cleveland in this series, they weren't really able to get their three ball going like they were against uh, the other teams in the Eastern Conference. Do you think this was ultimately a result of they don't want to be in a chess match with Golden State uh, from the three-point line? Because Golden State is one of the, probably the best shooting his team in NBA history. Do you think they ultimately didn't want to get in a – a, sh- a shootout with them, or do you think they were just off from the three-point line ultimately because Golden State outshot them from the three-point line in all in six of seven games. The only game where Cleveland had the advantage in the three-point line was game three, and in the deciding game seven, Golden State was plus uh, 27 points from the three-point line. So ultimately, what do you think happened from Cle- for Cleveland from the three-point line? Well, a few things. I think a few of their players were neutralized. Kevin Love just couldn't be as effective, and Channing Frye just couldn't get on the floor based on the matchup. So those are two of their biggest three-point shooters, and part of it, like you said, I don't think they want to play that game with the Golden State. If they start jacking up threes and missing, it really plays into Golden State kind of uh, the way they want to play. 
Okay, and uh, on, on the side of Golden State, uh, I know they've made a bunch of threes. I think they had three or four games where they shot, they made 15 or more three-pointers. In that last game, they actually attempted 42 uh, two-point attempts and 41 three-pointers. Do you think they ultimately became too reliant on the three-pointer? And uh, like Charles Barkley likes to say, you don't live by the three, Arnie. You die by it. I agree. Well, I, I kind of agree with it because I think Steph Curry is much more effective when he's penetrating and creating shots for the rest of his team than than when you're just jacking up threes. We saw how much of a one-dimensional player Cleveland got him to be. He's so much more effective when he's driving to the lane and kicking. He averaged, what, what, what was it, six, seven assists a game. He had more turnovers than assists over the last three games. He had, I think, six or seven total assists in the last three games. So um, they're definitely much more effective when kind of driving yeah definitely I agree with that because uh I mean as most people don't know but throughout the whole season Curry inside the paint was shooting I think the somewhere near the highest of the league of amongst like all the centers as well I think he was somewhere near 70 percent field goal percentage like five or six feet within the basket so I, it seemed like he became too predictable on offense, and he just kind of settled for the three. And he, he kind of even admitted himself that he was kind of going for the home run uh, shot too much in that game seven. And as you saw in that, that probably that most important play in that last minute of the game seven where they had Kevin Love switch him switch on to him on the pick and roll. And Kevin Love, for as much as flack that he took on the defensive end, you got to give that guy some damn credit on that play. I mean, he really uh, held his ground against Steph on that play and forced him into an, a very difficult shot and a shot that was kind of rushed. Ultimately, where do you think Kevin Love uh, bared down and ultimately came down with that defensive stop? Where do you think that came from? Um, I, I think that was more Curry rushing the shot than it was Kevin Love kind of stopping Curry. I think Kevin Love played that sort of defense on Curry before, and Curry would always hit the shot. But to be honest, I think that was more Curry than it was Kevin Love doing anything different. Okay, so it's just a matter of, a, as they always say, it's a make-or-miss league? Yep. Okay, definitely. And uh, uh, what what about, how about that LeBron, that block from LeBron coming down with a minute 50 left, and looks like Golden State's going to, score on a fast break with Andre Iguodala and kind of take momentum and control of the game and kind of get the Oracle crowd in it, who for the last five minutes of that game seven in the fourth quarter was pretty much non-existent. They were just nervous on pins and needles. So <laughs> is there any other player in that le in the league that can make that play that LeBron did? one or two, but that that was amazing. I, I've heard people say that's the greatest block in league history, and it might just be, given given the timing of a game seven with less than two minutes to go, that's a tie game. That was huge. That was unbelievable. I mean, maybe Anthony Davis, maybe one or two other guys, but that's it. Yeah, I mean... Simply uh, amazing. Yeah, it was simply, I mean, it was... I mean, I'm not a very emotional guy, but I was up off my seat when I saw that block, and I was just going crazy. I was going bananas. And, I mean, 
I just really wanted to see Cleveland win, and that block, I mean, <laughs> that was unbelievable. I mean, and that was a big difference for me also that I saw in LeBron in this series that I haven't really been seeing much from him from the regular season in the past couple of seasons. Maybe it's because he's conserving energy for the postseason or something. But, I mean, he was really a force to be reckoned with on the defensive end, kind of like similar to what he was doing in 2011, that conference finals against Derrick Rose. But probably not to that same extent, but he had some of those moments where, like, uh, against Stephen Curry, I'm just way bigger, I'm way faster than you. There's no way you're getting past me. There's no way you're going to do anything against me. I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to manhandle you, and there's nothing you can do about it. What did you see from LeBron ultimately on the defensive end in the last three games and ultimately throughout the whole NBA Finals series? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that chase down block, which he's become patented for, you didn't really see much in like during the regular season. But I think there were probably like five, six occurrences at least that I saw in the NBA Finals. What did you think ultimately of his uh, ability to block shots? Okay, and as I was saying, uh, we we rarely see the chase down block from LeBron during the regular season. He's kind of become patented for that. And I saw like at least six or seven occurrences in the finals. Ultimately, what do you think came back for LeBron and and the ability to block the shot? I think after game five, he was just so focused, so determined. You could see him trying so much harder in offense and defense. He was being ultra-aggressive and really was reminiscent of four or five, six years ago and later in his Cleveland days and Miami days when he was the defensive board. Um, and really, you could you could tell, you could see the difference right in his face. He was so determined after game five. Uh, and definitely from a historical perspective, the last three games, LeBron was amazing. Kind of where do you put up put that uh those last three game that last three game stretch that LeBron had ultimately how do you compare it to like uh other great performances in the finals like Jordan in 93 or Shaq in 2000 or Dwayne Wade in 2006 where do you ultimately put it amongst those uh you know I think it's in the discussion with all of those like you said I think Dwayne Wade in 2006 was amazing Shaq um uh, with the Lakers he was amazing and Jordan, so I think you put him right up there with those. Uh, it, it's hard to say that he was the best, but I think, you know, all of those performances, to me, kind of swinging ways really stuck out in terms of uh, what he did and some of those years with Michael. Uh, it's hard to say that LeBron is better than that, but I think, he, you know, he's right there in the discussion. Okay, definitely. And uh, do you think LeBron's legacy gets enhanced for this finals win? ultimately beating the best regular season team in NBA history, a 73-9 Warriors? Yeah, I definitely agree. And then beating the two-time unanimous MVP, uh, you know, I think this brings him right back at the top of the league. All right, definitely. That's a great point. And on the other side for Golden State, uh, moving forward for them, uh, ultimately what do you think they need to do to be back into it in, in the Western Conference, which they're, they're definitely the favorite 
next year to win the championship. Do you think there's ultimately any competition in the West for them next year? Um, yeah, I think OKC, it, it, you know, it all depends what Durant does. Uh, so there's a couple of big moving pieces. Assuming that teams kind of stay relatively the same, uh, I think Golden State's right up there and is probably the favorite still. And they were just a couple of shots away from winning back-to-back titles and having one of the greatest years ever. So um, I don't think there's much they need to do. There'll be some creatives that, that might leave a team like Harrison Barnes and uh, there's a few other players that are that, that might be leaving the team this offseason. But at the same time, you know, so the rumors are, and <laughs> I don't know how much it is just a dream that, that they'll be going after Durant or, or what's going to happen, so we'll see. Yeah, definitely. Uh so uh, that'll wrap it up for the NBA Finals coverage. Uh, definitely an excellent, exciting season of basketball filled with Golden State's 73-9 regular season, Kobe's last season, and then into the playoffs, a lot of exciting games, and then an exciting Western Conference Finals between Oklahoma City and Golden State, and then a very just as much exciting NBA Finals where Cleveland overcoming lots of different odds and winning their first championship in franchise history. So congratulations to the Cleveland Cavaliers and to especially to LeBron James for bringing his hometown their first NBA championship, and we'll be looking forward to next season. But now getting into some uh, free agent stuff, ultimately uh, Kevin Durant, like you just mentioned, is the big piece that's going to be coming off the board uh, this uh, this summer. So ultimately, where do you think uh, he ends up? You know, he, he recently kind of made the statement that it's going to be a basketball decision, uh, saying that it's not going to be a business decision, that he doesn't care about all the off-the-court stuff, all the big market stuff, that it's really a basketball decision on based on who he wants to play with. Um, so given that, um, you know, I, I think just as like everyone thinks, I think the likelihood is that he'll stay with OKC. But at the same time, I could. The only other team that I think I, I give an opportunity to is is Golden State. I think he knows that Golden State's a team with a ton of team chemistry. They don't put too much pressure on themselves, and everybody kind of likes playing with Steph and Clay and all those people. So, given the way they move the ball uh, and just the chemistry around Golden State. Maybe that's an option for him. But ultimately, I think he'll stay in OKC. Just because he's grown his roots there, he's comfortable there. Um, and I think he, he, he likes his split, his teammates, and I think he likes his coach, too. So that's where I expect him to stay. Okay, uh, those are all great points. Uh, OKC is probably the favorite, but... Uh... And to, uh, one problem I have with the Golden State thing is Golden State is they'll be good, great with him. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they move the ball well, but Kevin Durant is a player that needs the ball in his hand. He's ball dominant. That's when he's most effective. I think going to the Golden State, he's going to have to give up somewhere between five to seven shot attempts a game, and I just, I just don't know if he's going to be willing to do that. And I think he wants to kind of still be the alpha dog wherever he goes. So 
that's kind of one problem I see. But definitely, Golden State has been rumored to aggressively being targeting targeting Kevin Durant this off season, and I definitely see them going after him. And he's definitely they're definitely going to get a meeting with him. So we'll ultimately see what happens. But on my most recent podcast, when I was previewing the finals, I kind of promised everyone that I would to let you guys know on a theory that I have about Kevin Durant. And most people probably laugh at me when I say this, but ultimately I think a good destination for him, Syed, is your Houston Rockets. Most people might laugh at that notion, but let me just, just hear me out on this. Ultimately he's kind of growing, kind of irritable, kind of annoyed with the Russell Westbrook dynamic that he's had, even though he's good friends with Russell Westbrook. Westbrook cannot shoot the three very well. It's very erratic. It's a very dynamic, athletic player. But I think he goes to he would go to Houston, which would be a good move. He'd join his friend James Harden, who's one of the top flight players in the league. I think Harden, by the domino effect of Durant coming, kind of uh, gets more engaged on the defensive end. His effort steps up. Their new coach, Mike D'Antoni, who will run a fast-paced offensive system, will put Durant in good situations to have success on the offensive end, be efficient. They have a young up-and-coming center in Clint Capella who looks like he's going to be a good rim protector. And ultimately, I think that would be a good situation with him. I don't think ultimately it would be better right away than Golden State or Oklahoma City. But for long term, I think that would be a an A-plus situation for him. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's where I would like to see him. But it's very unlikely based on what he's been saying and based on the financial situation of his contract and the salary cap moving up. But definitely it will be interesting to take a look at. And I think he should definitely take a serious look at Houston because I think he can build something special there along with James Harden and Mike D'Antoni and Patrick Beverly and all the other players as well. So just want to get your thoughts on that. I know you're going to think it's absurd. You're, you think it's absolutely absurd? Well, well I, it, I don't think it's totally absurd because I think obviously he's still friends with, uh, with James Harden. But at the same time, I think he, he's trying to make a basketball decision where he's trying to win championships. Just given how Houston played last year, uh, I don't see, see how he can make that jump just to play with his buddy. It, you know, if Houston had another really good year the way they had it last year, I would definitely think that it's an option. But at this point, I think it's more of a pipe dream. And then just given the way James Harden performed or this type of effort he put forth last year, I don't know how many elite players really want to get, get next to him. You know, uh, to be honest, as a Houston Rockets fan, I'm hoping they get someone like Joe Kim Noah to replace Dwight Howard, who, who opted out. Uh, but I would love it if Kevin Durant came here. I think he'd make us a great team. I just don't know if we'd contend for championship, even with Durant. Okay, definitely. And then uh, in some other news, uh, already we already have two trades that took place today. Early on, first in the morning, uh, we had a three-way trade between Atlanta, Indiana, and Utah. Atlanta sent uh, Jeff Teague, their starting point guard, to Indiana. Indiana sent George Hill, their starting point guard, to the Utah Jazz. And the Utah Jazz sent the 12th pick in the first round of tomorrow's NBA draft 
to Atlanta. And in the probably the marquee trade of the J, we had uh, Bulls uh, former MVP and former star guard for the Chicago Bulls, Derrick Rose, along with Justin Holiday and a 2017 second-round pick sent to the New York Knicks in exchange for Robin Lopez, Jose Calderon, and Jerry and Grant. So uh, what do you overall take on both of these trade sides? Um, I think apparently Atlanta's in rebuild mode because who knows if Al Horford's coming back. And I think they got less value than what they could have for Jeff D. He was an all-star just last year, and they picked up, what, the number 12 pick? Remember, which going to be, what, maybe a role player? So I think, I don't know, they're clearly, I guess, in rebuild mode, and they don't think they're going to contend. Um, and in terms of the Derek Rose trade, I know, like, the advanced metrics on him are not good for the past couple of years, but at the same time, I think, he was the best player on Chicago. Um, I really think Jimmy Butler is a, more of a, a complimentary player rather than a, a lead player. And, uh, you know, I think the Knicks actually did a pretty good job picking up Rose, and they, they didn't give up much. They gave up Robin Lopez and a couple of role players. So, to be honest, I think uh, the Knicks made a pretty decent pickup. Um, and I think the Hawks got less than what they, they could have for, for Jeff Dean. For Atlanta, yeah, it's clearly stated that it's, it's kind of been the notion around their team this past season that at some point they're going to hand the reins of point guard and ultimately play playmaking capabilities over to their backup point guard, young German point guard Dennis Schroeder, and that's clearly what they're doing with this move. And it's been said that it's been rumored that they're going to shop their other first-round pick along with the one they got from Utah to create financial flexibility to ultimately re-sign some of their free agents and the the biggest one being Al, Al Horford and then their other one being their shooting guard Kent Bazemore so that's ultimately where, the, where they're going with that they're just handing it over to Dennis Schroeder which I don't think is a, ultimately that bad of a move I don't think he's Jeff Teague entirely just yet but it seemed like for the Jeff Teague side both both sides wanted to get out of the situation, and it's kind of good that they did. And then ultimately, for the other trade with Derrick Rose going to New York, I think it's uh, it'll be good for him. It'll be like a fresh start along with new teammates. A less toxic situation, which is kind of funny to say, going to the New York Knicks, who's who have been an absolutely abominable franchise for probably the past 15 seasons. But... Uh, It'll be a good start for him, but ultimately he was pretty relatively healthy last year and he didn't really do much. I mean, I don't know really how much the Knicks should expect from him. And he's ultimately, do you see his role improving much with ball dominant ball hogging uh, Carmelo Anthony and up, up and coming uh, young uh, frontline man in Kristaps Porzingis? Um. You know, I I could see, you know, like you said, I don't expect him to be the MVP the way he was six, seven years ago, or five or six years ago. But last year, I think he had a pretty decent year. Second half of the year, I think he averaged almost 18 points a game. Um, so I think if he can keep that up, he'll be a solid addition for the next. Um, 
Okay. You know, who knows? Chris stops for his Angus obviously has a ton of potential. So if you, he's able to progress, that might be a somewhat competitive team, which is a big upgrade for the day. Uh, definitely, I've have I have a lot of reservations, a lot of skepticism about Derrick Rose on the Knicks, but some positives about it. He, he'll be in a contract year, so he might be incentivized to play well, and he might uh, ultimately just uh, turn it around in a new situation, new setting, new environment, go, get away from his hometown of Chicago and go to another, the biggest media market in the country, in New York. And I definitely think they'll be a borderline playoff team, whether they make it or not. I wouldn't be surprised either way if they made it or they didn't make it. But uh, it'll be interesting to see and should be a lot of uh, fun fun uh, games to see with Derrick Rose, Carmelo, Kristaps, Porzingis. But ultimately, uh, we'll move on. Not other much free agency stuff going on. Uh, that'll all be kind of start uh, next week uh, with, the, with the players opting out kind of the rumors that you'll be hearing flying around. So we'll get to that on the next podcast. But we have the NBA draft upcoming tomorrow, and the Philadelphia 76ers have already stated that Ben Simmons will be the number one pick. So not much surprise here. So kind of what – are you more of a Simmons or an Ingram guy, Saeed? Um, you know, I like both players. Um. And I think that they're nearly the top two players in the draft. But ultimately, to be honest, like I, I like Ingram maybe more than, than Simmons. I think he's a better pure scorer. Simmons is obviously a better athlete, and he can do more things. Uh, like he's a better rebounder, he's a better defender, he's a better passer. But um, you know, I think Ingram's a better pure scorer and. The knock on him is that he's just too light. I think he'll be able to put on weight at the same time. Uh, you don't need to put on, like, 50, 60 pounds. You can see Kevin Durant is pretty scrawny, you know, uh, who I think when he came into the league, he, at, at his um, pre-draft workout, he benched, like, 185-1, which is terrible for a professional athlete. Uh-huh. But I think, you know, Ingram is clearly a better scorer, and that's what you want at the NBA level, I think. Yeah, I mean, today's NBA, uh, you're required to kind of be more more of a shooter type. And, I mean, we've seen the only, the only really two examples of guys surviving and kind of being legitimate scorers without, like, a super strong three-point shot. One that comes to mind is definitely Dwayne Wade. And then another one... Who, who has a pretty good shot, but, like, recently it's kind of been failing him, is the best player in the world, in my opinion, LeBron James. So do you think, ultimately, Ben Simmons has what it takes to become like LeBron? Because he can do pretty much everything else on the floor, and he's already very strong. He's, I think he's coming into the NBA stronger than LeBron was when he was coming into the, into the NBA. So what do you think, ultimately, about Simmons' ceiling? Do you think it's a LeBron-type ceiling? Um, he, he might have that potential, but I wouldn't expect it. You know, LeBron is one of the greatest players of all time. So to say that he, he's going to flash that, um, I wouldn't be confident at all ever saying that. Um, but I do think, like, he has a lot of that ability. I'll say that. All right, definitely. And uh interesting uh, tidbit about Ben Simmons. I don't know if many people know this. 
Philadelphia's head coach, Brett Brown, was an assistant coach in Australia for Ben Simmons' dad's team, David Simmons. So he's known the family for over 30 years. So that's why all along I it was a pretty much a near certainty that Ben Simmons was going to go to Philadelphia right when they got the number one pick. And an, another thing, going into Brandon Ingram, he has a very good size, good length. But I think I'm a little worried about the the strength factor and kind of the weight. But I, I'm... I'm going to give him a couple of years to kind of figure that out. I think he'll be in an NBA weight room, be amongst NBA trainers, and I think he'll figure that out. And ultimately, he has what it takes to to be successful at the next level. He scores really well. He shoots really well. He has long arms. He's a great defender. So I think he's really going to be an exciting player, and I'm really looking forward to both of these guys, watching both of these guys in the NBA for the next 10 years at least. And I'm more of a Simmons guy because – that's the kind of style of play that I like, facility, facilitating all-around player, defense, offense. So I'm more of a Simmons guy, but ultimately I'm really excited to see Brandon Ingram play as well. So definitely, uh, do you think there's any other kind of players in this draft besides the two at the top, Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram, that can be kind of a franchise t- changer and kind of lead a team eventually to NBA championship? Um, it's really hard to say. I think those are clearly the top two players. You know, a couple other players that I like are, are Buddy Heald and, and Denzel Valentine, but uh, it's, it's hard to say that those two players will be franchise-turning type players. Um, so we'll see. You know, I think it's pretty evident with, with how hard the Celtics are shopping the number three pick that the gap between like number two and number three is pretty large in terms of how everyone views the potential. All right, definitely. Uh, one guy that I really like besides those two that I mentioned, and I don't know if very many people have heard of him, but I'm pretty sure he should be pretty well known by now to most people. And I really was impressed when I saw him playing the tournament against my USC Trojans from the pro- on the Providence University's team. Their point guard, Chris Dunn, he's got good size for a point guard. He's very excellent on defense. can fill up the stat sheet. Great shooter, great scorer, great leadership. I think he can be a franchise-type point guard, somewhere similar to like a Chris Paul type, but ultimately with bigger size and more strength than Chris Paul. So I don't don't know if you watch Chris Dunn very much or kind of just want to get your thoughts on what he can translate to and in, into the next level in the NBA. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I haven't really watched him play too much, but yeah, I do know that a lot of people are high on him. So, um, was looking forward to seeing him play, but unfortunately I haven't seen him play too much yet. Okay, definitely. Uh, so, uh, ultimately, uh, it's pretty much just Simmons and Ingram in this draft. And that's like what most NBA drafts are like. Uh, there's like most of the, the stars that you see come from most of the time you see them come from the first like 10 picks and sometimes you'll see some important players in the lottery or in the first round but very rarely do you see later in the draft stars come out so definitely uh want to thank you for coming on site it's always a pleasure all right thanks for having me and uh thank you everybody uh thank you for listening it's been an exciting nba season and 
hope everyone enjoys tomorrow's NBA draft, and I'll be back probably within the next week or two to discuss uh, all the free agent and all the trade uh, rumors. So thank you for listening, and enjoy the NBA draft tomorrow.